Bark Hopping Podcast number 46. In 1967, the last attraction personally supervised by Walt Disney opened at Disneyland. It was the largest and most ambitious theme park attraction ever built and remains one of the most popular rides in the world. In the decades that followed, the attraction would be replicated at the Magic Kingdom in Florida, opening in 1973, at Tokyo Disneyland in Japan, opening in 1983, and at Disneyland Paris, opening in 1992. In 2003, the attraction was used as an inspiration for a big-budget Hollywood movie. If you don't know which attraction I'm talking about, you're probably listening to the wrong podcast. Celebrating 10 years of posting Disney stuff on the Internet. This is another crappy podcast production. Avast there. This is Alan from DisneyFans.com, and this is the Park Hopping Podcast, show number 46, the podcast that proves that anyone can talk like a pirate. Yar. Previously on the Park Hopping Podcast, I described the ever-changing Imagination Pavilion at Epcot. But today, finally, we're going to get to use our Park Hopping Pass and head on over to some place that isn't made fun of on The Simpsons for being boring. Today I want to continue with Part 5 of my Walt Disney World report, and this time we'll be Park Hopping over to the Magic Kingdom to discuss some of the changes made this year to a classic attraction. Now, there's uh, one attraction that exists in a different land at every Magic Kingdom it has been built at, and that's the Haunted Mansion, which originally was in New Orleans Square at Disneyland, then Liberty Square at the Magic Kingdom in Florida, followed by Fantasyland and Tokyo Disneyland, for some reason, and finally Frontierland at Disneyland Paris, even though that version has a completely different name. But that's not important to this episode. Today, I'll be talking about another attraction that gets moved around, sort of. When it first opened in 1967 at Disneyland, it was built as part of New Orleans Square. Um, when Walt Disney World opened, uh, it wasn't even going to be part of the attraction lineup there, which is good because there was no New Orleans Square to put it in anyway. But guests visiting Florida and the uh, Magic Kingdom sequel thought uh, otherwise. So instead of ending up with an attraction called the Western River Expedition, we got a scaled-down copy of the Disneyland original. Now, back in the early years of the public World Wide Web, I remember running across a website that detailed just what the Western River Expedition was going to be. Situated in Frontierland, close to where Big Thunder Mountain Railroad was eventually built, would have been an all-new water-based animatronic extravaganza, which was meant to push the limits of Disney Imagineering even farther. Concept artwork and even models were on display on Main Street, um, but it, it was not meant to be, and a cheaply done sequel was created instead. Now, isn't it interesting looking back to the Disney company just a few years after Walt passed away and seeing that this company already started creating cheap sequels rather than something new and original? All because that's what the public demanded? Maybe some of the traits we don't like in the modern Disney actually go back a bit further than we think. Or maybe I'm just digressing and this has nothing to do with today's topic. Regardless, in the future I'd like to talk a bit about the Western River Expedition and some other attractions that were planned but didn't make it. Uh, but today we're off to Adventureland to talk about a ride that wasn't even supposed to be built in Florida. Now this is easily my second favorite attraction after the Haunted Mansion, and it seems there are tons of people out there who agree with me. I guess those that are a little less into the spooky stuff might swap their order, but in general, uh, both of these animatronic classics are highly ranked in park surveys, even today, but from normal people. It's over three decades after it opened, too. 
So I think the, the reason is pretty simple. Unlike most rides built before or even since, um, both of these are true surround experiences. And by that I mean you have things going on all over your line of sight. The mansion, of course, kind of forces your attention to general directions thanks to those dome-shaped doom buggies. But in boats, the guests are free to pretty much look anywhere they want, left or right, or even up to see the simulated clouds projected on the ceiling. The scope of this attraction also plays a, a part in its popularity, I believe. Even the shorter Florida version is still nearly nine minutes long. And the sets are huge and detailed with great special effects such as a, a burning city and cannons firing and, of course, over a hundred of those animatronic characters. It also helps to have a catchy theme song with a hook in the chorus that uh, people can easily sing even if they never learn any of the actual verses. And I kind of wonder if anybody out there, except for the two diehards, actually knows the words to the verses. It's kind of like a lot of these Christmas carols. We all know the chorus, but how many actually know all the verses? Anyway, so, so why, after so many years, would the Disney company decide to make significant changes to this attraction? Well, if you've heard any of my podcast on this subject earlier, and I've done a couple on, on this ride already, you'll, you'll know that the changes have been made regularly throughout its existence, though not normally on the scale of these 2006 changes. Um, the chase scene has been altered in many ways, from the men chasing the women, uh, reversing their gender roles and becoming the chased, uh, to the pooped pirate who used to hold a dress, uh, becoming a pooped pirate holding a treasure map, or a gluttonous pirate holding food or whatever. And internet rumor debunking or not, what about the original theme song lyrics that use the word rape? Try to find that one on Wikipedia. There's a lot of us that believe it was actually there, but I can't find any proof of it, so I, I think it's just one of those things we believe it because we've heard it, or think we heard it. Anyway, the, the Disneyland original received a rather significant update around 1997, uh, when new characters were added and several scenes were redressed, so um, even adding new characters, completely new characters, is nothing new. I remember going out there for um, the opening season of that new version and just noticing all the uh, the differences there, and it was pretty substantial. Well, what happened this time was ex uh, substantial as well, and it all had to do with the success of a movie inspired by this classic attraction. The problem with making a movie from a ride is, of course, you know, trying to come up with a plot. At the minimum, you have to have a few scenes in the movie that reflect locations in the ride, but beyond that, you know, perhaps some characters that mirror ones found in the attraction, uh, the details have to be created from scratch. When the movie version um, created a whole cast of new characters, and in turn this new cast turned out to be massively popular, the, uh, the original movie earned over $650 million worldwide, and the sequel has surpassed $1 billion some time ago, well, anyway, you just know there's going to be a lot of new fans, and a lot of these fans may have never made a trip to a Disney park. They might not even know the ride existed. Now, think about this. You work in guest relations for a company that currently has the third highest grossing movie of all time, and you have a ride by the same name. Now, some people know there's a connection between the movie and the ride, and some may have never even heard of the ride before the movie. So they go on this ride, and they wonder, where's Jack? And why did the dog and the guy in the mud look so different? Now, this popularity could easily turn into customer complaints when expectations are not met. Explaining that the ride has been around for 30 years before the movie came out is probably not an easy way out. You know, at that point, you might as well say, why didn't they make the movie more like the ride and save everybody a lot of trouble? So with this newfound worldwide popularity, news spread that Disney was going to update the ride to add some of the movie elements to it. 
both Disneyland and Walt Disney World would see the addition of Captain Jack, Captain Barbosa, and the ghostly Davy Jones. They'd throw in a few movie props and redress an animatronic dog to make it look like the one in the movie, and suddenly you have a classic attraction that actually has some of the things guests are expecting. And this is exactly what happened earlier this year when this all-new version opened on both coasts. As I've said, I'm a big fan of the original, and I grew up taking summer trips to Walt Disney World. I've spent so much time on the Florida version that I actually forgot how much longer and more detailed the one in California was until I visited it again as an adult in 95. The enhancements of special effects you know, were always welcomed by me over the years, and I really didn't even mind the much-debated 1997 update in California other than, as usual, just missing some of the things that were removed. And while I think that Captain Jack is one of the best movie pirates I've ever seen, uh, would he even fit in next to the wildest crew that ever sacked the Spanish main? I mean, there's a big difference in the looks of a real person versus these uh, almost caricaturish animatronics. So after hearing various trip reports when this thing opened and listening to binaural audio ride-throughs and watching countless shaky home movies of the update, I finally got to see for myself last week when I dropped by the Magic Kingdom for a few hours. So uh, the first big change is the attraction exterior. That's uh, a small island plot with a large mast and a crow's nest that's been installed out front, complete with a skeleton pirate up above peering through a telescope. The tattered cells have the name of the attraction, and for those who had trouble, uh, I, I guess this is entirely for those who had trouble finding it since it opened uh, 33 years ago. Anyway, a new set of wall painting replaces the classic animatronic Barker bird, which was a, a parrot with a shaved chest, an anchor tattoo, um, an eye patch, and a peg leg, and great little details. You could see him breathe, and he'd sing a version of the Yo-Ho song, but it was Yo-Ho, a parrot's life for me, and he'd explain how to get to the ride down through the fortress and all that. Hey, do, baby. You come seek an adventure and solve the old pirates, eh? enough new, enough people uh, um, now know how to get to the right after 33 years that his services uh, were no longer needed. You see what I'm saying here. I think it's kind of weird. We build a big sign outside so people can find the ride, and we take away the parrot because we assume people know how to get to the ride. Come to come to think of it, you know, this the, the uncola-sounding barker bird outside the Enchanted Tiki Room was given the boot in 98 during an update over there. I'd say this was a sign of the times with Disney being cheap and finding things like those animatronic birds that they, that they could eliminate from the maintenance budget, but um, even in Walt's own day, the original Tiki Room Barker Bird at Disneyland was removed, although the official story was because so many people stopped to gawk at this new technology that the little roadway there was always clogged up. But I digress. After entering through the arches, um, music from the Pirates movie now plays. 
Uh, there's a bit more painting on the walls added above the entrance, um, and the rest of the queue, though, remains pretty much unchanged as it twists through the fortress hallways. And, uh, you know, there's two lines left and right. I prefer the right line because um, it goes down to see the chess-playing pirates. This is one of the best ride queues of all time, and I'm, I'm glad those stalemated skeletons were still there down below. They're locked in like a death chess match or something. So if you use the right-hand queue, you actually see a couple of um, scenes you go by, including the the pirates playing chess, the pirate skeletons, and when you're waiting for the load area, there's a, a cavern and you can hear the sound of pirates digging. It's another one of the um, the rare audio tracks that, that's the only place you can really hear it. Um, and the left side just kind of spirals through and ends up on the load. Well, once loaded on the, the ride boat, it sets out into the caverns and turns right. Then immediately we see... Um, the first update, it's kind of a projection of the ghostly Davy Jones on a fog-like mist screen, complete with a projected waterfall. The illusion is that you're about to run through a waterfall with Davy Jones in it or something. Though the lack of dozens of other waterfalls in the Walt Disney World version make this kind of stick out. At Disneyland, this effect happens well into the cavern sequences after the boat has already gone down to waterfalls and past many other water effects. Um, as usual, it looks like Imagineering designed something for California that may not quite make as much sense elsewhere. Maybe it's a California thing. I mean, think about those scenes from the first movie that directly referenced ride scenes from California that are not even found in Florida. So there's probably a lot of people, actually, now that I think about it, the Haunted Mansion movie was the same way. A lot of people saw these movies that have grown up only going to Florida and thought there were a whole bunch of scenes that had nothing to do with the ride, but they came directly from them. Anyway... Into the tunnel, uh, before the first and only drop in Florida, uh, we find the uh, second ousted animatronic. The talking skull and crossbones is gone, and I kind of wonder how the lawyers missed the fact that Disney had actually removed a safety spill when everywhere else it seems like they're spending money to add them. And while I'm thinking about it, there was just a link on one of the websites to entertainmentengineering.com, some kind of trade magazine, and they had an article explaining some of the updates that were done to this ride. And they uh, claimed that the Davy Jones effects was a water projection, and I kind of wonder if they just misheard, since it's a projection of water onto that mist screen, but it's certainly a dry, dry effect. It's not being projected on water, so maybe that's what they meant. Okay, anyway, uh, from this point, the boat quickly enters the big battle scene with the ship and the um, the the town on the other side, the, the fortress. Captain Barbosa is now at the helm of the Wicked Winch pirate ship. He, uh, he moves really, really well, and the character is, of course, voiced by Jeffrey Rush, and it mirrors many of the original Bowbeard the Pirate lines, though it's updated with statements demanding to know where Captain Jack Sparrow is. Um, there's high-power water splashes now that were added, uh, same ones that were added to Disneyland a year or so ago. They launch blasts of water high in the air when the cannonballs hit. Um, new powerful air cannons have been added, and um, they send a blast of air past the riders, giving the impression of something whizzing past their head. And I rode through this several times, and I could hear them go off, but I never got to be in the path of them. But I heard other startled guests elsewhere in the boats, you know, before or after or whatever, who obviously did by their reactions. From this point, a few more changes um, become really obvious. The pirate dunking the mayor has had uh, his voice uh, redone, and he now wants to know where Captain Jack Sparrow is instead of just the treasure. You see, apparently Jack knows where the treasure is in this new version. And just past them on the right, uh, the first Jack Sparrow animatronic is added. People have, have commented on how lifelike this guy is, but 
in all the videos I saw, he looked real rigid and robotic. Um, I mean, he looks real as a figure. If you see a picture, it looks like a real person. It looks like Johnny Depp. But his movements include, uh, you know, leaning forward and up, turning his head, and that's about it. The uh, first two times I wrote it, I was really unimpressed with the motions. But for some reason, the third time um, through, I, I kind of noticed a few minor details in his motion, or maybe I just caught him at the right sequence, and he really seemed more alive. It appears he may actually kind of lift up a bit as he straightens out, which is a rather human touch. Uh, certainly his facial expressions and his head turning, you know, are quick enough to be misidentified as a real person. And he's certainly far more fluid than the legacy figures still in the attraction. Um, you know, even though m many of them were actually rebuilt for this revision. So, yeah, he was pretty cool. Um, certainly better when I finally saw him that third time than what I expected from the video. Uh, next is the big chase scene. Jack replaces what was once a uh, supposedly naked woman in a barrel. The pirate is revoiced by, if I remember correctly, uh, um, Corey, uh, Corey Burton. I think it was Corey Burton because uh, the original pirate was voiced by the, the late Paul Ghost Host Freeze. And, and since Miss Burton, Mr. Burton uh, replaced Freeze in the Haunted Mansion holiday at Disneyland, it seems like a logical choice. At any rate, this new pooped pirate speaks out about Jack as Jack pops up out of the barrel looking around and he kind of leans forward over the side of the ver barrel. Uh, the pirate's got a key, apparently, to the treasure and all that. And it's very, very good, mostly because of all the eye motions that react to this pirate. Now, at Disneyland, this uh, scene is slightly different, with the dog barking at the barrel and Jack inside of it. But in Florida, for whatever reason, the dog is on the other side of the pirate, so the pirate seems to be talking to the dog and completely ignoring the barrel behind him. And either way, it's it's still a neat, neat update. It's very, very neat. I'm not sure how realistic the lifting motion is, but it's a great animatronic Um and there's a video out there that Disney posted on the official podcast that showed Johnny Depp at Disneyland um, standing by this barrel figure, talking about it and pointing it out, and it would whip its head around and look at him and stuff. It was kind of cool. Now, I don't know how uh, new these next things are, but sometimes since 1999, some extra fire effects were added to the Burning Village scene. There's kind of small pieces of flickering, reflective material that pop out of various props that give a very convincing illusion of flame. I was very impressed with this. I noticed several of them, and I even checked my old videos to make sure I just hadn't forgotten them. I mean, there's nothing like that at Disneyland. Um, and I love it when Disney bothers with these little details. I, I guess uh, that's kind of what made them famous in the first place. Anyway, after after passing through the gel scene with a new dog that actually looks more like the one that's in the movie, I guess it was too much work to find a movie dog that looked like the mangy mutt that's been holding the key for years in this ride, um, we pass into the last and biggest change. The side uh, of the armory, or whatever it was, is now covered up. Big wall door there, so the boats can't actually see what's there until they pass on the side where unload is. So as you round that last corner turning to the left... All the props and the figures and the animatronics that were out front have been removed, and inside this little area is Jack Sparrow. So sorry, Captain Jack Sparrow in a chair surrounded by all kinds of shiny things. There's even little projections on the wall that are supposed to simulate the sparkling of all the jewels and gold. There's a parrot by him perched on the handle of a shovel. And um, now this Jack animatronic moves very fast and fluid. He's got to be one of the latest generation animatronics. You know, Disney says that a lot. I mean, they said that the Alien Encounter animatronic was one of the most advanced, and it really didn't do much. But um, this guy even kicks the chair back, kind of rocking it a bit, and he holds a chalice in one hand, and Johnny Depp's voice is used to sing along with the theme song and talk to the passing boats and the parrot. 
I mean, the motions are very fast and realistic. And um, I think now people actually want the boats to back up and get stuck there a bit. Speaking of that, every time I rode um, this visit, the boats would start backing up near the exit of the Burning Village scene. And I remember they always used to back up near the gel scene when I went there in the 80s and 90s, but it was rare to see them back up this far. I'm not sure what's up with that, but um, something sure seemed to be different. Anyway, I mean, this was a great animatronic, um, and this was the thing that could be the most realistic to me out of anything in the ride. Uh, Disney World does not have very many advanced animatronics. The Wicked Witch at uh, the Great Movie Ride at Disney MGM is one of the most impressive anywhere. Um, the Ellen animatronic at Epcot's Universe of Energy is supposed to be one of the latest technology ones. And then there's this Jack. And there might be a few others elsewhere, but, you know, Disneyland's only fancy animatronics have been the uh, Auctioneer, which is massively more advanced than the one in Florida, and, of course, uh, Mr. Lincoln from Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln. So, you know, it's really cool seeing another one of those figures and actually seeing it just like 20 feet away. Okay, so um, after exiting the boats, uh, we get to go up the speed ramp, and it kind of looks like they might need to repaint the markers on the floor, along with the arrows indicating the direction that the ramp is moving in. There's also faded footprints. Actually, it's a boot print and a peg leg, a little dot walking up the ramp like a pirate with a peg leg went up it. It's just a nice little detail, though time and wear and tear has faded it almost entirely away. Anyway, up this ramp, we go back out to the traditional gift shop, and um, I guess some of us probably realized that Pirates was one of the first, if not the first, ride to exit people through a gift shop. Um, today, of course, there seems to be a lot more stuff uh, and rides that exit into gift shops. Um, I mean, they reconfigured Alien Encounter to do it and other things like that. And, of course, this gift shop is a lot more active than it ever has. I mean, there's a lot more stuff for sale there, mostly connected to the movie. And it was fun uh, running into some performers actually in the shop area. There was a quartet I heard playing some folk songs as I exited, and I was familiar with this song from Renaissance festivals. It's um, not a Renaissance period song, but that doesn't stop people from singing at festivals. It's called Wild Rover, and it contains some very non-Disney lines, so I actually stopped for a minute to listen to them and actually sing along and see how they change these lines. Um, instead of singing, I spent all my money on whiskey and beer, it became, I spent all my money on Disney souvenirs, and that's a safe and funny change made even more appropriate by their location actually in the gift shop. Another line about a barmaid taking someone upstairs to show them the rest was now a line that was just sung in jest or something like that. You know, ah, Disney. I don't know who these guys were with their guitar and, and electric acoustic bass, a violin, and a little concertina uh, that the, the main guy was playing. But if someone knows, drop me an email. If they have a CD, I'd be interested in knowing what it's called and where I could buy a copy. It's, it was just really good. They are very, very good. Anyway, that in a nutshell are the major changes I uh, paid attention to in the Florida version of this classic, and I, I love them. Uh, the new Jacks are great, and though it's kind of jarring to hear the name Jack Sparrow said so many times, replacing classic dialogue we've grown so used to over the years, I still think the update keeps the spirit of the original alive um, while adding enough new hotness to keep the new generation that was brought up on the Johnny Depp movies happy. You know, there's certainly uh, more Johnny Depp than there is any other singular pirate in there. So we'll see what happens next year when and if the rumors play out that a few more movie characters might join the crew. Can you imagine what it's going to be like if they uh, add Will Turner and, and Elizabeth Swan? 
In the meantime, at least the Disneyland Paris and Tokyo Disneyland versions are still jack-free, um, and the Tokyo version is probably the closest one to the U.S. original. I, I guess if you want to see a jackless version bad enough, all it takes is an international flight, and the Paris version still retains a few of the original scenes that have long since been altered here in the U.S. Oh, well, whatever version, whatever changes, it's probably always going to be one of my favorite attractions. And I did this entire episode without ever saying the name of it. Huh. So the next time you're there, be sure to take an extra picture, shoot some extra video, because you really never know when something you like, love, or hate is going to go away and never be around again, or they're just going to put Johnny Depp in it. And on that note, I think that'll do it for me this time, so be sure to visit DisneyFans.com, where you can browse about 35,000 digital pictures I've taken at Disneyland, Disney World, and other theme parks across the country, including Iowa's own Adventureland right here in Des Moines, as well as dozens of downloadable video files from the parks, including some in 3D, which apparently aren't working for people right now. i got to go check that, too. Everything's broken. See what happens when you leave things alone for a couple of months? And if you want to talk about some of your favorite Disney podcasts, although not this one, be sure to drop by the Disney Podcast Network at DisneyPodcastNet.com and sign up for their discussion board. Uh, Again, I'm not a part of the Disney Podcast Network, but for those that like message boards and podcasts, this is probably the best place you can go. And if you want to drop me a note directly, my email address is podcast at DisneyFans.com, which seems to be working now. And if you'd rather use the telephone, you can dial 206-2030-ACP. That's for another crappy podcast. Again, that's 206-2030-227. And leave me a voicemail. Really, two other people have. You could be the third. So, this has been the Park Hopping Podcast, show number 46, Jack Sparrow of the Caribbean. Thanks for listening. Yar. Another crappy podcast production. Be sure to visit anothercrappypodcast.com to learn more about this and other equally exciting (sighs) podcasts.